congregation, we wish to consider the second part of the passage that we just read this morning from Second Kings. And for now, I'll just read verse 15. We there find the heart of the matter, and as someone said, also the matter of the heart. And he, that is Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Our theme is Naaman's confession of faith. Well, three aspects of that. First, we consider a loving gift. And then second, a heartfelt vow. And then third, a needed petition. So Naaman's confession of faith. And the first is a loving gift. And the first thing we want to consider there is the cleansing. God's loving gift to Naaman. Children, young people, all the ones, we know this history quite well of Naaman. Cleansed from his leprosy. It was extraordinary. Leprosy was a deadly disease, still is. It's a death sentence, if you got it, especially in those days. And Naaman was so angry. Remember when, when Elisha didn't come outside? I mean, don't you know who I am? I'm the general of Syria. I could conquer you again. But finally we know that his servants and the people that were with him persuaded him. If, if Elisha would have asked you something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Why not then, if it's something simple? Go, wash. The Jordan. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? The simplicity, the essence, the very matter of the gospel. Go, wash. A simple word. But first, it already by the slave girl. Telling Naaman's wife about the prophet in Israel. He could cure him, she said. Children, remember. Words matter. And you don't have to be an adult to say something. If this little girl, little maid, I don't know how old she was, wouldn't have said anything, this history would likely be not in the Bible. Naaman would have died of leprosy. Remember that. All of us, a simple word. But it went so different. Naaman had totally not expected anything of this to happen. I mean, as a general, all he knew was might and money.
as a general, he thought he could force his way. So the king wrote a letter of recommendation, or threat, as the king of Israel saw it. And he took a lot of money with him. Gold and silver and ten chains of raiment. If, if that money would be today uh, anywhere from half a million to a million dollars or even more. He thought he could force and buy his healing. His way. But he had to learn that God's blessing cannot be forced. Cannot be bought. Naaman's health was God's loving gift. His free gift. His sovereign gift. God is sovereign. He's the supreme ruler of the world who can heal, and he does heal, but he's not obliged to heal. At least not from physical ailment. But when we plead the name of his son, if I may say it reverently, he is obliged to forgive because he said so. He's bound to his own word. But it's not going to be as we think or we feel or we want, but as he wills, as he has said it in his word. It's amazing if you think about that. It's the will and the word of God. They are one. It's a revealed will. So it's ultimately not the water that heals. It's not the word of Elijah or Elisha. It is God who does it. To be cleansed from leprosy and also to be cleansed from sin. It's his way or no way. Jesus said, I am the way. Not just one way. The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the loving gift here is the cleansing. But there's something more here of a loving gift. The gratitude. The gratitude. You see, Naaman wasn't just healed. He also learned a major lesson about the reason why. That becomes very clear in his confession. He goes back to give a loving gift to Elisha. Now, not to, um, not to pay Elisha for his health, but to give him a blessing we read in a text. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing, a gift of thy servant, a present. Just as he received the loving gift, he wanted to pass it on. Isn't that also a picture of the gospel? When we have received the gospel and really believe the gospel and understand the gospel, we want to pass it on. And wish and pray that the people we talk to would receive that loving gift as well. Anyway, Naaman is overjoyed, filled with gratitude. Not just toward the prophet, but toward the God of the prophet. It's very clear. He turned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, listen to this, Behold, 
Now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Did you know how he, did you notice how he changed? No longer the proud, demanding general, but he calls himself a servant. What a different attitude from the moment that he left Elisha's house and now having left the Jordan River, being healed. I pray thee, I plead with you, please take this gift of your servant. Naaman is humbled. This mighty general has become a humble servant. That's what the gospel does. Picture of the gospel. Not only humbled before Elisha, but also before the Lord, God of Israel. Now I know. There's an awakening, an awareness that he never had before. Something happened beyond just the being cleansed from leprosy, which is a miracle all of itself. But his confession goes beyond that. Here is a Gentile confessing the Lord to be the only God at the same time when the people of God worship idols of the Gentiles. Look at it in the backdrop of what's happening there. A Gentile saying, there's no God but the God of Israel, and the Israelites saying, we have all kinds of gods. Serving idols, such as Baal and many others. That's why Jesus says in Luke 4, verse verse 27, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. What an indictment. It'd be like people in Kalamazoo being saved, but who out of this church or any church? Many in the people that, if not all indeed, of the people that were lepers in these days, not only died in their leprosy, but in their sins. But Naaman was healed. And we read about that, not only the cleansing and the gratitude, but we also hear here about a confirmation. Notice how every time Elisha responds to Naaman. Verse 16. But he, Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elisha adamantly refused to receive that gift. He even swears an oath. Calls God to witness. Why does he do that? Well, it's a confirmation that this Naaman was saved and healed by grace alone, not because he had so much money. But nobody could say, like, Abraham refused to receive gifts, lest they say, I made Abraham or I made Elisha rich. 
that God is the God who cleansed him. And he is the God of all the earth. But I want you to notice that just not just to Naaman, but also that Elisha makes this clear for all the people to stand around. His whole company, all his soldiers and all the servants and maybe some other prophets from the prophet school were standing there too so that everyone would know. Clear message. The gospel is free. Just you know the rest of the story. We didn't read on after verse 20, but you know, children, uh, older ones, you know what happened. Gehazi, he stood there too. He was warned. But he coveted. And he died of leprosy. I'm sure Elisha and his prophets could have used some money and some clothing. They were generally very, very poor. They hardly survived. But Elisha wanted to be confirmed that the gospel is a free gift, a loving gift. Again, what a clear picture of the free gospel here. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Go wash. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? One of the old hymns, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can't earn it, and you can't even repay. That's why we sang that Psalm 116. Can't even repay. Psalm 116, 12 and 13 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall I give in return? How shall I truly appreciate it? For all his benefits toward me, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The only way to receive this is by humble faith. to take that cup of salvation. There's no way that you and I can honor God more than obey what he commands and receive what he freely provides. Take his salvation. Glorify him. Enjoy him. And be a witness to others. Remember again that slave girl. You wonder when the Amen, well, you don't need to wonder when the Amen would have been had he not been brought to know the Lord God, the one and only God. Brings to the second point a heartfelt vow. So we have a loving gift. A heartfelt vow. His confession of faith is a confession, indeed. His vow actually is a confession. And as we will see, also a commitment. There's two parts to this vow. 
There's a confession and there is a commitment. And it begins with the word behold. Take note, all of you. Listen up. That's what he is doing. He's not just talking to Elisha. He wants everyone to hear it. It's a clear, bold confession, a heartfelt vow. You wonder what these soldiers around him were thinking. They must have looked at him and at each other. What's going on here? Did I hear that right? Did, Did he say that? A bold declaration. Listen up. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's quite a confession. He didn't just say, oh, now I know where I can find healing. This God can do it. This God is more powerful than other gods, than our gods. He says more than that. Confessing that Israel's God healed him, but that this God is the only God, even in all the earth, which includes Syria, of course. In all the earth, Israel's God, this God, the Lord, this Jehovah, this Jahweh, is the only God. There is no other one. This confession, this vow, goes beyond miraculous faith or miracle faith. This seems to be, to me, saving faith. In the only God, the Lord God of Israel, he realizes just what we know from the New Testament and the whole Bible, that there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must and can be saved. That connects the word, therefore, to the blessing in this text. Now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore. So now I know. Now, therefore. I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. It's a thanks offering or a thanksgiving offering. And it's not just for being healed from leprosy, but being saved from all his thoughts and illusions and expectations of his own gods. I just wonder, I don't know how many times he's gone to to the temple of Rimen to ask Rimen to forgive him. I don't know, it doesn't say in the Bible. Could be. And he says, now I know. Whatever the other gods could do or not do, I know there's only one God. And it's not just about all the other gods could do. There are no other gods. Right in front of his own men. An oath of allegiance to God. That's why this heartfelt foy, uh, vow was not just a, a confession, but also a commitment. He commits himself 
that he's going to live up to it in 17. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He is serious about it. He's not just saying it, making confession of faith, but he wants a life of faith, of worship, sacrificing. But, yeah, maybe you ask, isn't this superstition to take a couple loads of dirt along to your country and then sacrifice on spread it out somewhere and, and then sacrifice? Of course it is. Of course it is. But remember, he's a new convert. He's a baby in grace, as it were. He knows that he wants to serve this God. He knows why, but he doesn't yet know how. So, in his own mind, children, it's like this. I mean, can I have a couple of mules? A mule is a, a crossbreed between a horse and a donkey. They're very, very strong. And so can I too have two loads of dirt? So what he wanted to do is he wanted to take some dirt along, spread it maybe by his house somewhere, build an altar on top of it. So if he would then stand there, it would be like as if he stands in Israel with the people of God to worship the Lord their God. I mean, the way he was raised and the way he understood things, yeah, that made sense to him. But already he deep down knew that it wasn't the water that cleansed him of the Jordan. He also knows that it's not the soil of Israel that'll save. He knows it's God. God cleansed him. And God is to be worshipped. He knows already, deep down, it doesn't depend on the water or the soil or whatever else it may be. He knows that it both is like a picture, a symbol, a reminder for him about what happened. Like we keep, take keepsakes when, when we've been at a certain place and we put it up somewhere as, and remember, when we look at it, we look at it, we remember. A symbol of healing, a picture of salvation. Yeah, so Naaman is very ignorant but he has a zeal, dear congregation, that could put us to shame. How much more do we know? How much zeal do we have? He had little knowledge, but great zeal. I will henceforth from this day on, that means, I will offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. I want to serve, I want to worship this God alone. Exclusive devotion to the God of my salvation. The congregation, I'm going to ask you a question. Is this your confession? But I ask a second question. Is this your commitment? 
Not only to say it, but to do it. You see, it's not just about what we know. Although we are privileged to know much. But it's about what we do with that which we know. Naaman is an example. Simple example. Imperfect example. Yet a great example. What to do with little knowledge, just like that girl. Just a few words to her mistress. It doesn't have to be a big speech. It can be a simple word. I don't know how it's with you, but this convicts me. How eager, how ready, how willing am I to speak to those around me that suffer from a sickness far worse than leprosy? Let me say nothing. Or perhaps worse, we pretend we are not a Christian. That brings us to the third point here. A needed petition. We have Naaman's confession of faith here. We have his, we have a loving gift. We have a heartfelt vow, but we also have here a needed petition or plea, which appears at the very first moment puzzling, if not perplexing. And you know, I'm sure what I'm talking about, what we read here together, because then he says in verse 18, after this strong confession, strong commitment, he says in verse 18, oh, oh yes, but in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master, the king, goes into the house of Rimmon, our God, his God, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Is he really asking pardon? Forgiveness? For a sin that he still has to commit? Asking forgiveness for future sins? And then go on to commit it? He just committed to sacrificing to the Lord God of Israel only. And then twice we read, I bow myself. If I bow myself, please forgive me. Is he now excusing himself for going to bow? Before Rimmon and worship the God of the Syrians, whom he just said that he is no God? It's perplexing. Indeed. And it's also dangerous, alarming. To ask forgiveness for a sin before you commit it is not only making light of sin, 
That's also making light of the price that was paid for sin. Not with gold or silver, but with this precious blood we just heard. Costly price. Romans 6, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. People have used this text, this story, to to minimize or even excuse sin. Because Elisha doesn't rebuke him. That makes it even more perplexing. It looks like he's asking for future forgiveness, and Elisha says in verse 19, go in peace. That's perplexing, isn't it? How do we process that? Does he really approve of this excuse? Does he really say, uh, okay, go ahead, sin and, and, and go in peace? Of course not. That would go against Elisha's preaching and teaching. So it's perplexing, but I want to propose to you it's a paradox. It's an apparent contradiction. It is not opposite to what Naaman just confessed and committed to. It's not a contradiction to what he previously vowed. It only looks like one. That's why we call it a paradox, an apparent contradiction. There's something more here to be learned than meets the eye. One thing is that what I already mentioned, that Naaman is a beginner in grace. He knows why, but he doesn't yet know how. To serve the Lord. That's why he wanted to take some dirt along too, to sacrifice, as it were, to stand in Israel. He had to learn a lot, as we all have to. Not only beginners in grace, but even the more advanced, we never stop learning. As a matter of fact, the older we get, the more we realize how far we fall short. There's something else. Naaman is truly humbled. I want to get back to that. Before he was this proud general that would do anything he wanted to do and he had self-confidence that he could do it. He lost that. He lost it. He's no longer that mighty general used to commanding people and they would do immediately what he said. 
Did you notice that he said five times in this passage, thy servant? Even twice again in this verse 18. Thy servant, thy servant. Before that time, he thought he could use might and money to get things done. Now he fears that he won't be able to live up to his commitment. What he's actually saying, what if? What if? I really want to serve this one and only God. But what if my king commands me to bow? Going by his previous life, it would be utter foolishness to disobey the king. It would be a death sentence. What he's wondering, will I be able to say, no, I will stand. He fears he will cave. My king commands me to bow before Raymond. I trust you can identify. I can. What if? Yes, I want to serve God. I made a confession. I made a commitment. I really want it. But what if? Go back into our day today. What if? If it's going to cost my job. If I stand up for what I believe, if I do not want to deny the Lord, the Lord Jesus, it's going to cost me. Lose money, lose my job, lose my business. We see it happen all the time in our country now, increasingly. People being shut down that speak up. What if? What if I lose a friend, a family member? What if it would mean that I have to lose my life? Lord, I fear that I won't stand apart from thy grace. Will I stand firm in my faith when I'm called to deny Jesus or die? Well, if Naaman and us, we would be left to ourselves, we would fail. I remember a long time ago, my dad once, we talked about that. Because I said, I don't know if I have the courage to stand. I'm not a fighter. I remember what he said. He says, God doesn't give us pockets full of grace ahead of time. He gives us the grace when we need it. 
If you read the history of martyrs, you find many times that many of them could hardly sleep the night before wrestling at the throne of God for grace to stand. And the moment they needed it, they got it. Some of them indeed had it ahead of time, but many did not. Left to ourselves, none of us would stand. That's how I see Naaman's needed plea. And Elisha, I believe, understood what Naaman meant. He sensed Naaman's fear, his anxiety, and said, go in peace. What is maybe put included behind it, do not go in fear, but in faith. How shall I possibly do this as I vow? Go in peace. How could Elisha, how can we be so confident? You see, Elisha knew what God promised to do. Not only begin to save us, but continue to save us. That God will do what he works in the amen and every believer. Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If he began to do that good work in you, in me, which is to go wash, we then may go in peace. Children and young people, if you want to remember the simple words of this sermon, go wash, go in peace. We don't know what happened to Naaman apart from Gehazi coming to him. But that doesn't matter at this time. The word of God comes to us. do the things that we cannot do ourselves. God will perform it or complete it, what he has begun. He will do it. He will give us the grace of the moment. He has promised to be with us, in us, with his spirit at all times until the very end. He is Emmanuel. And it includes two important key words. One is preservation, and the other is perseverance. That flows out of this. Preservation, he will keep us, he will preserve us. Perseverance, he will cause us to persevere, to keep going, to stand, to do what is impossible with man, which is possible with God. To press on. So Naaman can go home in full assurance that God will give him the strength and the courage he needs.
I would have loved to be there to see what would have happened if he would go indeed with this king. And who knows what he maybe even discussed with his king. How in the world, Naaman, did you get healed? Tell me about it. Who knows? Maybe Naaman was never tempted or challenged to bow before women. Nothing is impossible with God. If Naaman could be saved, why not the king? Why not you and I? It's an amazing, beautiful picture, isn't it? Regardless whether we are a new believer or an advanced believer. The called, again Philippians, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it is clear, because we have to serve an awesome God, He's a holy God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works it in you. He will work it in you to stand, which you cannot do yet yourself. Worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. To will, to make us willing, and to do, to make us able. And amazing, isn't it? You see, we have to be careful how we deal with a new believer, a young believer, not to judge too quickly. I'm not sure about you, but I've done that too often. Having in my mind uh, too low of an expectation. When they witness her, when I see their walk of life, then I... But then God does a wonderful work. My low expectations put to shame. And the other way around too. Too high expectations, which then were later disappointed. People can make a nice commitment and nice confession, but... Let's be more strict on ourselves. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin. But let's be more strict on ourselves. Too much is given. Much is required. Let's live by what we know. As I said earlier, we won't be judged by what we know, but what we do with what we know. How do we use all these gifts? Knowing that God will work in us what we need to work out. And I have to look back and I think maybe there's more that we can learn from new believers than we realize. If it's not often their zeal. As the Apostle John writes to one of the churches, you've left your first love. Do your first works again. Repent. 
to believe. So we can learn from a new believer. That is not to excuse or minimize sin. When they sin, we have to be honest and speak up. But we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions. We cannot allow errors of doctrine to remain. But we have to appreciate grace. So not to minimize sin, but to maximize grace. And zeal. Simple word, isn't it? If you get down to the very heart of the matter. And I just want to close with these simple words. Go wash. Then go in peace. Amen. Gracious God, we thank thee for this amazing gift of grace. A loving gift, a free gift, undeserved gift, a gift that keeps on giving. As the Lord Jesus said, that he will dwell in us with his Holy Spirit, never to leave us. So we do have, at all times, everything we need. Lord, help us to learn from what we heard today. Apply it, Lord, with thy Holy Spirit. Forgive all sin in it and remember us the remaining part of the day and bring us again into thy house this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.